Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline Donahue and unfortunately I've imprinted on your demon baby. Joining me is everyone's favourite Mormon vampire, it's Maisie Peters. Wow, what an intro. I I wish to only now. Did you refer to me as a Mormon vampire? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that is good. I wish to only be referred to as that far from now on. Well, this is it. So I come I come to you today in the spirit of great envy because... Mm. Um, I, you're, you're a few years younger than I am. When Twilight came out for me, and, and so the book came out in 2005, films come out in 2008, that's the big, when the big moment happens. I'm at that point a little bit too old for, to be swept up in, in what I think was one of the great teen sort of phases of the 20th century, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or 21st century or whatever, like in terms of like... It, it, since sort of it's like it's the Beatles, it's the Spice Girls, and then it's Twilight. In terms of like things that just galvanize, monopolize, and take over to the point where like adults are being freaked out by it. But you were right in the middle of that. So tell me your Twilight journey. Wow, that's, that's so funny hearing when they actually came out because when the books came out, I was five years old. Uh, when the first oh one came God. out, I was eight. Yeah, I know it's always traumatic for everyone to hear that. Um, <laughs> so. And for me, I was like a big reader as a kid, right? Like I was, I was reading a lot of books, a lot of inappropriate books, a lot of appropriate books, whatever I could get my hands on. And I really remember reading Twilight for the first time I was on holiday. It was literally like, I can't believe, number one, I'm allowed to read this. Number two, anything is this good in the world. Uh, Number three, there's more of them. So I read the first Twilight book. And I was just like, I think I'm somebody already that's like obsessive. And and as a, as a tween, as a teenager, I was like into the concept of, of great, enduring, <laughs> undying love. Right. Um, and what better example of that is there in the whole of literature than Twilight? It's so funny because in Twilight, they constantly reference Wuthering Heights, which is amusing to me because it's like, why weren't we all, why don't we just go read Wuthering Heights? No, no. Oh no, instead. <laughs> Let us read Twilight many times. There's nothing more disappointing as a young person when you finally get around to reading Wuthering Heights after like listening to the song and like having like all that. It's, like, it's so boring. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've never even finished it. I remember thinking like, wow, they talk about it all the time in Twilight. Like maybe it's yeah, for yeah. me. And, and reader, it was not for me. It was not for me. But you know what is for me? Twilight Eclipse. Bloody Twilight. Yes. So, um, uh, okay. So you said you were obviously very young when the books came out and young when the films came out. So what age were you when you were bang into these? I feel like, I feel like I was like, I'm going to say like 12 to 16, I'm going to say like, and, but like, I carried on. Like, I remember actually going to see the film, the final Breaking Dawn part two in the cinema. And there is the, epitome of cinema in one of these films. I can't remember which Breaking Dawn it is, where like you think they've all died, but they haven't. Um and that woof, that rocked my world. Oh my god. It's so funny that you said that because um sort of my sort of producer Meg, she is um around the same age as you are and she, I asked her, I was like, Twilight, were you in it? She was like, Yeah, I was in it. Yeah, I was making homemade <laughs> yeah. t shirts or whatever. And she said the exact same thing. That moment when the fake out of them all dying was like everyone was screaming in the cinema and like I just it just seems like a great thing to be caught up in. I know since then, I think what I'm really interested with Twilight was that like it was such an enormous phenomenon where like there was so much merch to be had like the thing with the Spice Girls was that the music was out and like I think that's what I relate to the most with in terms of like how I can staple like my Twilight I suppose um Mm. the they were sort of trying to make endless merch out of people who were human and 
and and tiring quickly and aging. Do you know what I mean? Like with like you know Jerry was sick of it before it even begun, basically, and 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 you know they were burning out these these five young women. But the thing with something like Twilight, because it's all based in this fictional world, the these characters aren't real, and so the fad can exist in your heart and your mind and you can have that you can buy all the books and you can buy t-shirts and you can make t-shirts and you can buy merch and you can see the film a million times there's kind of no and you can make fan fiction and your friends and you can do everything there's no end to how involved you get to be because you're not investing in like real people even though they're real to you real people who will fail you mm. or quit the band or go on hiatus or whatever it's like in, in a way it's so much more satisfying to be involved with a book literature film pop culture phenomenon than it ever will be with anything else you know so real nothing you know what if no one's got me i know bella swan and edward cullen have got me and (laughs) this is real side i carry it through with me in my life but no i was it's just was like something of something in the in the lore of it and the story just like got its little hooks in me and then i just i just read those books so many times and like eclipse is my favorite because New Moon and New Moon is my least favorite because New Moon is just Bella the whole time being like really sad and Edward's not even in it and I was like I don't want this <laughs> um, and but Eclipse is so good and there's a scene in it where um, they're like in a tent in a snowstorm and Jacob is there too and it literally like I think I must have read that scene like maybe a hundred times and I need to get the my, the books are all still at my parents' house I'm gonna get them back up to London and and re reinvest some time into them but like I was just it's that thing it's like you're just so obsessed and you can just like read it again and again and again and you can just watch it again and again and again it's like there's no end to your to the cycle and what do you think specifically about it got you was it the the sort of the sense of the gothic was it just the the sense of the longing the sort of Romeo and Juliet of it all kind of thing like what what do you think if you were to boil it down snatched you and never let you go it's probably it's probably the drama of of the love story it's probably like something that the it felt so extreme and so full of like importance and i feel like when you're 13 that's what you want you want to be loved so importantly um by a by a vampire a sexy vampire (laughs) um and i was not but uh, you could feel like you were and I just, yeah, I, I truly, it, it swept us away. It swept us away. That's beautiful. That, that thing of you want to be loved so importantly and gravely and with gravitas. And mm. it's, I, I really do feel it. Um, I, obviously, there was no way I could possibly, I read one of the books. So I read one of the books when I was um, interrailing as like a 20 year old um, and we had like, one book that me and these two other girls I went traveling with and we would just read it to each other on these like overnighter trains or whatever. So like I just I have a really lovely, delicious sense memory of that book, that first book. But I didn't read any of the subsequent ones and I've watched all of the films. I'm like I was up at 6.15 this morning watching the movies. You know what? I respect it. I respect it highly. Also, did you, so did you watch Breaking... Which movie were you watching this morning at 6.15? Oh, um, Breaking Dawn Part 2. I didn't get to the... Right. That is the final one, isn't it? That is the final one. And yeah. It's just like, it's not talked about enough. <laughs> the entire concept of like... Because it feels like Twilight sort of like... Up until Breaking Dawn, you're sort of... It's sort of, you know, I'm, I'm getting the lore. It's sort of appropriate. You're sort of understanding what's happening. And it's mm. like, you know, it's vampires. And they sparkle in the sun and et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, cool, cool. And there's some bad vampires. And then you get to Breaking Dawn Part 2 and it's like, right, they're having sex. Bella's pregnant. Bella gives birth within like a week. And then Jacob like falls in love with her baby. And it feels like we just go, we go so far. Sorry, spoilers for anyone. But also, I where, mean, have, come you on. If you don't, if, where <laughs> have you been? It's, but I even remember, even I was like, really? That's like, I feel like. I, I, there's so much to talk about in terms of like the um, cultural reputation of Twilight. And I think that, I mean, there's the initial 
there's been so many waves. It's a bit like Taylor Swift, how like she's mm, always going so through true. a wave of either like mass popularity or mass everyone being annoyed at her. And it's like, it could only be one or the other. I felt like the first wave of Twilight was like, what are all these teens reading? Gosh, they're interested. And then there became this kind of, I guess, sort of like pick me situation going on of being like, I'm not like the other girls. I despise all of this. This is beneath me. This is the worst thing in the world. This is trash. This is garbage. Then after that came another wave of people being like, well, maybe maybe we have been too mean to the teenage girls because we shouldn't judge their interests. And, you know, there's there's great, you know, worth to be had in the filmmaking, in the scoring, in the actors, in everything. There's a lot of joy to be had. And then there's another wave that comes after that, which is this is um, lay, this is teaching things to girls that it shouldn't teach girls about romance um, particularly vis-a-vis control and stalking like Edward Cullen has become a very a deeply unpopular male character so which wave would you like to deal with first do you want to go through chronologically or through the one that you most to least disagree with not do you watch Succession yes of course I do okay so the you know how everyone calls Kendall baby girl before Kendall was baby girl Edward Cullen was baby girl. And I feel like maybe they would like, they would be friends, Kendall Roy and, and Edward Cullen. I feel like that could, that's like a crossover I would like okay, to see. Okay, how do you figure that? Like, just put that together for me. Like tortured soul. Right, right. Sort of uh, lack of social skill, um, obsession and dependence on the one and only thing that they think will ever make them happy in the world. Um, yes. I do think there's some crossovers and personalities. Um, but... I mean, it's a tale of time that we just, you know, the the first wave is just people thinking that teenage girls are silly. Mm-hmm. And so everything they like is also silly, which is actually just, yeah, obviously Taylor's Out of Time has been proven to be very untrue. Um, but, and then there was the Pick Me era, obviously, which I was not part of because I mm-hmm. was um, a, a, a big stan. Um, and I don't have the creds to be a, a Pick Me girl in that way. I'm sure I was a Pick Me girl in other ways, but not in that way. Um and then we have a resurgence. Then there's been like a whole thing about Twilight is cool and the films are great. And it's like Robert Patterson and Kirsten Stewart, who actually, it's a very iconic casting. Um, so you have all these sort of, and then now, yeah, you have the like teachers bad things about romance young girls, which I've not really thought about. But if I was to think about it and give it my attention now, I think I would be like, there are so many, if you're talking about like art or literature that like, potentially teaches ideals that are uh, bad for people. I feel like there's worse to be had than like Twilight, like a clockwork orange, might I add? <laughs> or like, well, I don't know, uh, Lolita. Like, I don't know if it feels entire. It feels like maybe, like, of course, yes, there's aspects of Twilight, but yeah, we shouldn't be stalking our crushes. Um, however, feels like they're hold- held up to like a, harder microscope because of their connections with you know because of the mass hysteria around it and because of the the love for it and because of like the association with like teenage girls and the sort of the constant need from the world to like push down what teenage girls like yeah it's 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 fascinating isn't it i think um there's a great deal of condescension when it comes to Mm. the quote-unquote what we teach young girls kind of thing it feels like people care about what we teach young girls very much when it's convenient for them kind of thing it's like yeah the rest of the the rest of the time it's like um let's let's sell these dummies everything we can sell them let's um let's bully them into being women as soon as we possibly can so we can sell more things to them and then hopefully fuck them but as soon as like as soon as they they all come to something by themselves and come together to really earnestly love it that's when it's like it's almost like like you, I don't know why I'm going back to Taylor Swift again she's on my brain a lot at the moment I think she's on everyone's brain a lot at the moment but you know like I watched a lot of um, video footage from her era's tour and people being like, this is frightening. This is a frightening level of influence. And I do think people just get freaked out whenever they see that frightening level of influence and how, when they see the power of young fascination and young fandom and young love and when they see it galvanized together, they've forgotten what it feels like to feel that deeply about anything and it's frightening. (laughs) I'd agree. I think they just exert a lot of power um, and people don't know what to do and 
they see such yeah such mass re- response to to that power but yeah it was it was the same thing i was and the funny thing is that i was like taylor swift obsessed i was twilight obsessed i was all i was all of the catchment areas i was in i was in <laughs> all of the catchment areas <laughs> but there's something so i was watching it Oh, I was watching. I've watched like five movies in three days, so that's that's a lot of Twilight. Yeah, I but, respect it hugely. But you know what? They slide down so easy. Like they're they're so good to watch. Like they really are. There's something very. There's they're like nothing else at like nothing else in sort of cinema where it's like they they look completely different just visually to any other teen movie that you've seen they look completely different to clueless completely different to like you know any of that sort of genre mm. it's completely different to american pie which would have been the kind of the teen movies that came just before this and like they you could not yeah, have so two true. things more visually different they're sort of they're dark they're gloomy everyone looks like the age they're supposed to look because they are that age and it's yeah. sort of I only realized today that Catherine Hardwick actually directed that movie 13, which I remember as being like super controversial when it came out. And it was about the sort of like, you know, yeah, just these sort of um, sexually precocious 13 year old girls. And like that was a real that was like a proto skins when that came out. It was like, wow, can, can we believe how young the, the the kids are sort of are these days and how old they look? There's always a sort of a. Um, that kind of Lolita scare around that, I think. Um, but they, nothing looks like Twilight in that. Like it's so beautifully shot, it's so blue and grey and green and mm. gloomy. But then you have these quite wholesome-looking teenagers looking in this quite wholesome-looking school. You know? Yeah, so true. I think it's so. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before either. But it was so. It's such a stark contrast, and. Just I think the whole world of Twilight, the sort of, I so, I can so visualize. And like, I've read a lot of books and I've honestly forgotten a lot of books that I've read because, you know, I've just, they, I'm sure you're the same. You, you yeah. um, eat so much, you can't remember it all. But like, I so can think of like, it's like the Pacific Northwest and like mm. the, the imagery of like Seattle and like that's that like side of America that part of America and it's sort of yeah like you're used to thinking about like Hollywood and New York and LA and and then you have these like this whole franchise set in like the forest and the state of Washington and like yeah the the coloring of it is so real as well when you're saying that I'm like yeah I'm so can see like their like school cafeteria and even when you think about their school cafeteria compared to like high school musical school cafeteria it's so dulled and it's like sort of quite like earthy and the lighting is sort of quite flat. It's like so non-shiny. And then like Kristen Stewart and Robert Patterson, you're so right. Like they look, Kristen Stewart looks so like a teenage girl. And Robert Patterson looks like a movie star, but also that's kind of the point. He's meant to look like a movie star. He's, he's mm-hmm. Edward Cullen. But like, yeah, same. It's like they're not, when you think about Mean Girls and you think about, um, Lindsay Lohan or you think about Alicia Silverstone it's like a it's just a world away from that it couldn't it couldn't be any further and I think like as a as a teenager as as like a teenage girl it was so enticing to see something that like that that kind of looked like where I was from it kind of felt like where I was from and I think it was so enticing to be in this like darker earthier like surreal but also like like, it was like almost realer to me than like Hollywood could be Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Kind of a hyper real kind of thing. Yeah. Because and I think as well, all of the watching of them these these time around, I was so charmed by all of the like supplementary teenage characters, like Anna Kendrick's character. All of her friends are so fucking charming. They're so funny and nice. Mike, and I can't. I don't know who plays Mike, but the character of Mike, I'll never forget. Um, and Anna Kendrick. And like ch- uh, her dad, I can't remember who plays her dad, but also like really iconic. He's um, a fox, man. He's so hot. Yeah, it's everyone's like, that like yeah. goes around Twitter every like six months. Just like <laughs> Charlie Swan. Um, <laughs> and I've seen like Anna Kendrick talk about it as well, being like, it's so funny. It was like sort of the beginning of a lot of careers. And this, it's like a really weird juxtaposition of like it's a teen girl cult movie, but yet it kind of like, especially the first one. Sometimes it feels almost kind of like art house. It's like yeah. so, it's such a weird, like melting pot things. I would 
literally pay to be on the set for like Twilight, the first film. Because also I feel like by the time you get to the last ones, like they're all movie stars by this point and it's yeah, like a franchise yeah. and it's, and it's, and it's, it's, you know, it's like the, um, it's the, it's the Marvel of, of, of teendom. But like the first one, no one's a movie star. And like, it's obviously gonna, it's like a big deal but it's not been anything yet. I don't know. I just would, I would literally sell a soul to be there's on some, set. There's something so fantastic about that first one because it's weirdly camp. It's like, it's so self-serious and gothic to the point of being absolutely hilarious. And there's all these like choices that you're like, they did this on purpose. <laughs> like It's yeah, so it, funny. It's so funny. I'm like, Edward Cullen like running through the forest. Like, when he's like it's like really really fast it's just like so crazy also i'd like a shout out as well of course i would um what's his name taylor what's his surname taylor lautner lautner taylor lautner as a werewolf i'm like bella where have you been loca obviously is now bella where you been loca loca like (laughs) obviously now it's like cemented itself within culture again um and i had a party last year in my house we had it, the theme was dan- danger. You had to go with something dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I went as Jacob and I had a t-shirt that said, Bella, where have you been, Loka? Like, that's the extent that, like, it's within my world. But also, they're, like, on the beach and, like, Jacob and his friends and the werewolf. Oh, so, it's just so good. I, you know, I really I really want to go through all the different, like... Um camps of the characters very big because I don't want to miss anything because I know this means very much to you and it, need, it requires careful it dissection shall we start with the Cullens the werewolves or um, or the the normies or the normies or whatever because when that Cullen family get introduced it's the, the funniest thing ever and it's so when they walk through the school in slow motion and they look mad and it's like everyone's just accepted it like this town of three thousand people they're like yeah they're the collins dr collin and his wife he um adopted a load of foster kids and they're all like with each other and they're all fucking anyway they're weird they don't talk to us and that other one don't talk to him either and then he and they all come in in slow motion and your man the big meathead guy is holding a fucking bag of eggs (laughs) for reasons that are never explained why 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 yeah oh my god what is it Emmett Rosalie Alice Jasper Dr. Cullen Esme there you go still there still up there still up there looking like porcelain dolls but looking like porcelain dolls in the high school of the like 2000 kids and like they're so weird and everyone just accepts it. Like, what? Can you imagine that happened in your school? And especially, it's like because as well, all of the other actors are so unbelievably normal looking, and then they're just like so weird looking. And it's like, how on earth? I guess you just would. I guess you just would. Um, I feel like I need to pull up a picture of them all again. I'm going to do that now <laughs> while you talk. Their golden eyes and shiny skin. Um, and then there's obviously the iconic scene where uh, bloody. Bella walks into her science class and there's a fan behind her and obviously the thing about Bella Swan is that she has this like I don't know how it's termed in the books this kind of heightened demon blood thing where she's very uh, smelly (laughs) to vampires and she smells great to them like really great meat and uh, he she comes in there's like it's like it feels like a very self like a knowing parody of like what a classic romance movie is supposed to do where the leads see each other for the first time and it's supposed to be their eyes meet and then then Robert Patton's just like basically dry heaves into his hand and then like like, it's so good oh memories I need to watch everything again now now we're talking about it I literally will be doing that yeah Robert Patton's like basically throwing up and Bella's like Bella spends the whole first film being like 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 she kind of looks like she's been like hit in the face constantly she's constantly like <gasps> like she can't really believe anything's happening but she's also like not really present she's also kind of hot <laughs> she kind of looks high like she's just yeah. like spent the whole film looking a bit confused and yeah in that in the biology class and Edward's like gripping the desk and Bella's like what the fuck and like 
she gets kind of offended and they're doing their like biology slides together. And then he like runs out the class, like as soon as class is over. And she's like, what the fuck? That was so weird. And did you find it funny at the time? Like, is it only funny in retrospect or were you as hilariously into it? Only funny in retrospect. You took it completely seriously at the time. You were like, I am paid up for this. Do not make fun of this. This is my thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't funny. No. It was not funny. No. (laughs) And like, what did the fandom look like for you? Like, was it a deeply private thing or was it like writing fan fiction together, going crazy with your friends about it? Like, was it a community thing or like a personal I am Bella Swan thing? Yeah, I, you know what? I actually think it was more of a personal thing because if I think really like, I think I was almost, I was so young maybe like the heightened years, like 12 to 14. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it was, I was too young. I was too, to even really be like in a fandom on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I was too young. I guess like none of my friends were as into it as I was. And I don't, if they were, I don't remember it being a thing that we were like spoke about a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if it was, but I think it was more just like my own personal obsession. And actually I was younger than I think I was because I'm just remembering talking to my friend's older sister about it when I was like deep in obsession. And I think I was in year six, so I would have been like 10 or 11. So actually I'm, I'm younger than I, I was thinking I was like wow. 10 to 14. Wow. Um, which is crazy, but that must be true. Um, yeah, so I think it was a, it was a self, just a self-fulfilling uh, uh, obsession. Yeah, and I'm presuming it was Team Edward all the way. Of course it was. <laughs> like, I don't really you like Jacob. Get the fuck out. Team Jacob. I mean, like, I don't I'm really get it. Team Jacob. Team Jacob. Your team, Jacob. <laughs> Why? This is Why? like this really gets to the heart of all of my romantic decisions I've ever made I've, uh, in my adult life. I've just been like, I actually really want to know what, like, what makes you Team Jacob, and then apply it to your personal life and tell me because I've, to me. That's like a ludicrous idea, like being Team Jacob. Like, I don't understand it. I can't relate. I can't empathize. Like, I don't even understand it. So please tell me. Okay, great. We got some heat going. So um, the they have a genuinely nice time together. How can you not see that? When they are fixing up the bikes together after Edward leaves, first of all, he's just like a sounder from day one. Like, he's he's like funny. He's interesting. He, you know, he's he's around the place he's owner for a long time uh when they fix up the bikes together i think their banter and like i think kirsten stewart and taylor lautner's chemistry is actually far better than robert pattinson and kirsten stewart i think interesting the thing is i think because and 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 i i both i think kirsten stewart and robert pattinson are great actors now and like they were great actors then but because they're almost too similar their 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 acting styles are too similar they have a kind of a wooden delivery with things and they have an intensity and that's what they that's what he brings to batman that's what she brings to all the things she does whatever um but i think there's a natural like bounciness to the way that taylor lautner is on the screen and i think like if he'd been given more opportunities he could like I, I like why is he the only person from that franchise who's not a massive star like anna kendrick's a massive star i know like it's so interesting there's something it's so, so warm and elastic and fun about him and like it's the thing of like oh yeah he's obviously incredibly hot um if you're like you watch, or whatever this is like a real niche one did you ever watch cuckoo with greg davis and taylor lautner no what is that oh my god you should watch it it's like so good but it's it's like a british comedy family sitcom and it's um you know greg davis from like the in-betweeners and um google him you'll know who it yeah, is yeah but um and then it's taylor lautner and it's taylor lautner plays it's like this very like british like normal family and the daughter goes traveling and comes back and she's married this like really spiritual crazy american guy and she's like brought him home with her mm-hmm. and the guy's taylor lautner Oh, um, cool. Oh, wow. I didn't realize really he good. did a show. I, I want to watch that. I want to see how much Well, it's not like super big, but also it just, you remind me of it because that's the only thing I can think of him being in. That and Valentine's Day where he plays opposite Taylor Swift. Obviously. And I, I also I also thought, like, I didn't like that movie, but I think the two of them are actually really good in it. They're really funny. 
I agree. I think it's a I very agree. underrated performance. <laughs> like I... the thing about those Valentine's Day movies or New Year's Day movies is that there's always one or two good performers. It's like the the love the Emma Thompson mm. and Love Actually effect, where there's like one golden performance that you kind of want to. Whenever it comes on TV, you kind of want to wait for that scene to come back around, and that that's what keeps you going through the ad breaks. Um, but so back to being Team Jacob. So <laughs> there's a, there's a warmth to him as a quite a literal warmth, and like obviously he's just hot and has like massive abs for like a 16 year old which is now I look at it and it's creepy but back then I was like I appreciate um and like I also think his family rock like and the werewolf thing rocks and like I think it's fascinating that the Quilute tribe have had like such a mixed reaction to how this very real tribe have been represented in these movies um but I think in terms of vibes alone it's a great vibe mm. <laughs> You, you're making a very bad, you know, there's a few things in that which I actually should consider more. I think because my um, my background is more sort of the book than the film. Mm-hmm. So I, the thing you say about like the actual chemistry between the actors and the vibe emitted by Taylor Lautner is very fair mm-hmm. and not something that I like consider as much when I'm talking about Team Edward or Team Jacob. And I actually agree with you about... Edward and Jacobs, no, Edward and Jacobs, I think that's another one. Uh, Edward and Bella's on screen chemistry. And I actually agree that they're both doing the same thing. I think that to me, Team Jacob, Team Edward, even, Team Edward is, it's a feeling, it's a way of life. But also, I think it's, it explains a lot about me. It's like his like depth and emotional intensity and his like, um, it's sort of the, the dramatic, sacrificial nature of him where he's like, I'll lay my head on a daughter block and a tractor can mow it over if you let me kiss your hand kind of vibe. <laughs> I think like that was sort of doing it for me when I was when I was 13. But valid what you say about Jacob and Bella. Very valid. And valid that Taylor Lautner should have been in more things. I'm so intrigued. You're right. Like also that was the craziest platform ever. It's like those films were so big. Mm. He was the he was the lead. He was the he was yeah. one of three leads. Like, what was going on? The f- a few years, like the few years post those films, was he like? I don't know. I would love to know. I'm gonna find out one day. I'm gonna get to Hollywood and be like, what happened? What Taylor happened? Lautner? I mean, and it, it also what happened to Taylor Lautner almost feels like a microcosm of what was happening, um, sort of culturally with the with the franchise anyway. Because like, um, I I am fascinated because. Obviously, neither you nor I are American and sort of our knowledge of like First Nations people is going to be quite limited. I imagine mine is and I imagine yours is. But I was doing sort of reading around about it. And like there was this sense that like from some people who are in the, the sort of the Quilute tribe, they're like, like 3000 people, There's like 3000 people left. Um, so it's a small, small thing. And. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. They obviously received a huge amount of attention after the films. And, you know, lots of people came to Forks in Washington, which is a real place. And the tourism boom was incredible. And, like, it seems that people in Forks are still making great money and whatever, which is great because it's a beautiful part of the world and not one you'd ever fucking discover um, through, like, you know, if you were thinking about going on holidays in America. But um, this thing of, like, very quickly 
it 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 just it it sort of turned on them. Was where some people think of that tribe think that like it's an amazing thing to see First Nations people not in a civil war epic or not not in like the eighteen hundreds to see them in two thousand and ten mm. like in the modern world wearing sometimes clothes and and like going to the movies you know being in a in a normal contemporary society they're like we need more of that in general. Mm. However. As the kind of parade moved on, I think increasingly people from those tri- that tribe felt like they had been taken from, they had not been compensated for how their um, lore and their culture and their traditions were sort of bent and twisted by Stephanie mm. Meyer. And there really is no, like, it's so funny because there are so mm. many rules around intellectual property. And if somebody, you know, uses a bit of your song in their movie, they have to pay you a lovely amount of money, which I'm sure you're happy to accept. But we don't have rules about that with culture, which I suppose mm-hmm. is why cultural appropriation has become this like weird thing where nobody's quite sure when they're talking about appreciation or whether it's good, bad, shedding light in the community. But then at the end of the day, the zero-sum game is people did not get paid, <laughs> you know? Which is crazy because that's like such a huge part of the whole thing. Like, um yeah that that culture and the impact that's like that's like the basis for the whole yeah saga and for, and for the whole franchise so yeah it's it's sort of mental that there is no compensation for that with stephanie meyer this is the thing where now like my my knowledge i'm now asking you what mm-hmm. is that stephanie meyer from forks she's not she's actually from phoenix i think um, they go to Phoenix in the in the books in the first one. She, yes, yeah, that's where she's from. Yeah, and uh, there's the, where Bella Swan is from. And I think it it is fascinating to get onto the Stephanie Meyer of it all. Um, that um, after after the movies, obviously nobody writes a YA supernatural fantasy series, and I know this from experience. With the um, with the sort of expectation that they're going to become a global phenomenon that is dissected and discussed or whatever, you know, this was yes. a Mormon stay-at-home mom of three children who had a dream, who was interested in creative writing, who like wrote this book, showed it to her sister. Her sister was like, "I think you should send it to a publisher." She sends it to a few publishers. Little Brown come back to her who um, with like a, a four hundred thousand dollar publishing deal for three books. And and that's obviously huge. And like even deals that are that big are still not guaranteed to be like cultural defining moments. But Twilight, for some reason, was. And so what happens to Stephanie Meyer is that her autobiography is then taken and wrangled and used in this kind of accusatory way, where when people are looking to dismiss her body of work, they're like, this is a this is a woman who, and these are facts. She, you know, uh, and I'm saying, I'm saying this non-judgmentally, but she met her husband when she was a child, and she they they mm. grew up together and they married when they were like 21, just out of university. They went to a Mormon university. They're very very in their faith. Um, they had children instantly, and people were like, "This is." The, the story of Bella Swan and Edward Cullen, it's sort of her pushing her like Mormon religious agenda onto young people and trying to sort of almost like recruit them to the church, which I find fascinating because it's like, is this person writing, just writing from a, a, a point of view and a set of values that they follow and it just made their way into their work? Or like, I just, it just feels weird to say like, Yes, she's a conservative person, but is she like, quote unquote, recruiting or like putting forward like a very chaste way of life as a kind of a a stencil for girls to follow? Yeah, I think the problem is always happens. It's like what you just said is so relevant when something becomes like a, you know, a cultural phenomenon. The person is then held up as like an example, positively or negatively to society, when the fact is that no one and predict it's going to have that impact and if you could you would never if you if I sat down to write a book and you told me by the way you've not written a single page yet but this is going to be like the most talked about and most important piece of literature arguably for like uh girls under the age of 21 mm-hmm. ever like if you were to sit me down and say that before I wrote the book I don't know what book I would write I think I would never write a single page because like if that was if that was the precursor to what you were doing, 
And so, yeah, I, it's like there's all these lessons that get held up from Twilight. All these points or all these like, you know, like essays people write where they're like, yeah, this pr Stephanie Meyer was trying to con bring conservatism back with a small C to America or, you know, all of these things. And it feels unfair and it feels like not a positive use of like critical reading mm. because I don't know what we gain from like ascribing political points to something which were unintentional. I think we, we would gain more from unpacking and, and ascribing and, and trying to like decipher and discuss and like really like bring, if we were gonna do that, we should do it to pieces of art that feel more intentional. If that, does that make sense, I guess? Yes, yes. No, I, I, I know what you mean. And what's, what's interesting about it is um, even though I wasn't a reader of these books during the time, <clears throat> my life has still been very shaped by them because I write young adult fantasy. Yeah, um, I wasn't being out of the Yeah, yeah, and and it's like regardless of whether or not I've read them, they are. I am still working within an industry that has been shaped by Twilight, right, and by The Hunger Games and by Harry Potter, and so everything that every way that the industry, you know, markets and uh, sells and treats my books, it's like in their own way they're trying to you know, the, on their wing in a prayer is that it might be bigger. Well, obviously it won't be. Nothing can be that big again. And so there is a... Sorry, what I think happened was, and this was actually very fascinating um, when I first started writing YA, because in about 2014, um, 15, when I first met my agent, she said, what are you interested in reading or in writing? And I said, I want to write Supernatural YA. And she said it's not a good time right now if you want to make any money at this. And I said, why? And she said, because right after Twilight, right after The Hunger Games, right after Divergent, there was this huge um, publishing thing of like, okay, we all need to throw our money at the next big trilogy, the next big quadrology, the next big supernatural girls mm. thing. And because that, your generation, the Twilight girls, have that by that point grown up and were now looking at new things it sort of it was all this rushed out badly written material that was quite derivative that was stuck on the shelves because they thought that girls would just kind of buy anything that had like a a, a bland enough lead female and a kind of a a, a, tr a love triangle and a bit of magic thrown in it didn't work and those books failed and then what happened was a period of like financial conservatism within YA particularly in the UK where there was everybody stopped spending and um, then it kind of came in waves again and now it's sort of like back again. And so mm. I I am sort of like my bread and butter is coming through the legacy of Twilight a bit to the point where now the the, the market that, that helped grow. Sorry, I feel like I'm talking all over myself, but it's like something I'm trying to get straight in my own head. No, no, but it's interesting. And I was going to ask the same thing because it's, it's, yeah, it is really relevant to what you do. Yeah. I, I do in a way, but in a different way. Yeah, but carry on. But because Twilight became so huge, it then inspired all this cultural conversation. What do we teach young girls? What do we show them? What love stories? What do we show them that sex is like? What to expect from sex? What to expect from partners and whatever? And so it, it created all this online discussion, the Tumblr of it all, the Goodreads of it all. And now it's gotten to a point where people now just read YA really closely because they are aware mm. of possibly the bad lessons that something like Twilight could teach uh, a generation of girls and maybe they're oversensitive about it but I remember like watching the scene where Bella and Edward lose their virginity on their honeymoon because you must be married <laughs> and you know Bella is you know it's a very violent experience it's like quite scary um and then when I was writing a scene in one of my books where a character lost her virginity, I had written a kind of a scene where she wakes up the next day and she says, you know, um, I felt like somebody had taken a melon baller to my vagina, <laughs> which to me was really funny. But my it never made the final version because the editor said, I think this would be quite scary to somebody who'd never had sex. And I was like, oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, fair. Right. But then it made me think of like, you know, how if I hadn't had sex, if I had read that virginity last scene I think it would have frightened the fucking life out of me but then I would argue that this is where like the 
the book and the film, this is where you have some like departures. Okay. How something is how something is visually depicted versus how it's read. And like, for example, with this scene, and I I take this with a pinch of salt because I've not read or watched this scene in like a long time. Mm -hmm. But my memory of reading this scene is like, first of all, it's like not super explicit at all. I would argue. And you could you could talk a lot about like you know by this point it's like a it's a movie franchise, it's a huge Hollywood phenomenon, sex sells, and like I think the the way it's going to be depicted in that film, to my from my memory, it's like a lot like racier and like more, um, what's the word? It's like yeah you know it you're saying it's like quite violent and there's like a there's a there's like a real drama to it. Whereas from my memory from reading the books, it's actually like not really discussed. I remember they like go to swim in the sea and then they like go back to the house and there's like, a you know, they describe the bed and those sort of things. And then it sort of moves on. And then what you then hear about is how like, there was like pillows that were destroyed and things like that and like headboards that were like thrown away or whatever because that color is so powerful and you know, <laughs> um but like i don't remember reading that at least i don't remember reading that thinking like that's scary or like that's mm. awful or weird or anything i think it's actually probably quite at least in the books written relatively tastefully i want to say and it's mm. gonna be funny if this is my memory or I'm gonna go back and read it and be like, that's not true. Um, but yeah, it's but it is important to think about. And again, I don't know if Stephanie Meyer could have known how important it would be when she was writing it. Because for a lot of people, you're right, actually, again, things I've really not thought about, like how they have to get married before mm-hmm. they have sex with each other. Because Edward Cullen is like, I'm a traditional vampire. So like, <laughs> I kill people, but I need to like protect your virtue because yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. But or I have think even people. in the books, Bella, like Bella, is like questioning that and is like, "What the fuck, my?" You know, mm. she's. I don't think Bella in the book is like, "You're so right." I, you know, I also feel like I should be married. She doesn't want to get married. Actually, that's a big thing in the books. Is like she's yeah. like, "I don't want to get married. People are going to judge me. People are going to think I'm weird. I don't want to be married. I'm 18." Um, like that's a, a large part of their relationship and of the mm. books and then it's Edward Cullen being like we have to I don't really remember why Edward Cullen wants to get married so bad but he really wants to get married I think he feels like he's not done anything virtuous and good in his life so he, he wants to do this one virtuous good thing mm-hmm. um, but you could argue again like if the people that are saying you know Stephanie Meyer's trying to push like a conservative agenda onto young women I don't think I don't think Belle Swan is like a feminist hero don't get me wrong like I think we could we could find better but nor do I think she just like spends four books being like whatever you want Edward Cullen Mm. I'll do whatever or go wherever and I don't uh have any personal autonomy like I I don't think that at all I think she like is a female character who like has a lot it's like is like relatively complex and um has like desires and wants and fears and isn't is like in love with Edward Cullen and they've got this like arguably sort of like sort of lowercase PG toxic relationship Mm -hmm. but like also she's she's also a teenager becoming a young becoming a young woman and she does have morals and principles and she does stick up for herself and she does they do have arguments and she doesn't you know, it's it's not four books of a of a teenage girl being like, yes, whatever you say. Yeah, and I think that is, and I even just watching the movies that comes across in a big way. It's a lot of it's a lot of sort of head butting, and I think as well, even though the movies are te- the the franchise is text is known as being very chaste and being like, you know, this the famous thing of like, yeah, they don't have sex until they get married, and it's all about it's all about abstinence, and it's all about the romanticization of abstinence because it's mm. it's so much about him holding it together because he he doesn't want to lose control and like you can read a lot into that or whatever but I also think what's helpful about the books is that yes there might not be a lot of physical sex but there's an enormous amount of longing and acknowledgement of the bodies and of heat and of wonder and mm. and if you compare that to something like Harry Potter which like I I I read them when I was a kid. Obviously, I have huge problems with J.K. Rowling as a public figure now. I read them 
as a kid, I liked them, but I never loved them because I always felt like there was just nobody had a body, you know, like yeah 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 even like when harry's like obsessed with cho chang or whatever or like when they're having all their you know relationships it's just it's so with it's there's no blood in it you know there's nobody's getting a period ever like nobody's nobody's having any kind of puberty in hogwarts and it's like so unacknowledged and for that reason those books and those characters always felt so cold and one-dimensional to me and i think that that's not at all what it's like in, in twilight like there's such amount of like breath and longing I think and I think that's great yeah I would agree I would agree and it's that's also really interesting what you're saying about abstinence and how it's really just like it, it's so true I've like not thought about it either um but there is a lot of breath and longing and there's a lot of discussion as well which I think yeah. is really interesting a it's huge like, amount of discussion it's yeah. a huge amount of discussion about like their relationship and their physical relationship and obviously that's because Edward Cullen is a powerful vampire who can snap <laughs> her neck if he like tries to make out with her too hard but like there's a huge amount of discussion about what they want and like arguably there's a lot of stuff on consent but it's not called that but like Mm -hmm. arguably that's also sort of and again like that's quite ahead of its time for when i mean what what is this this is like 2005 to 2010 i reckon yeah um there's a lot of conversation about yeah what they want and their relationship and their physical relationship and all of those things which i think reading as a as a young girl and, and as a young teenager was probably subconsciously like really important like really impactful yeah I, um, I, i'm curious and i i don't want to make this be like a, a weird or pervy or intrusive question but because when these came out i was already like basically grown and i'd had boyfriends or whatever but you were obviously young do you think it shaped how you see romance or sex in any fundamental way not that not that anything not any one thing can you know but do you think mm. it, it added to the soup of how you feel about that that's a good question i don't know i'm thinking about it now i mean in obviously on some level yes because it's like that whatever you whatever book or film or media that you love that you engage with when you're so young like or it will like stay with you forever and so i think that there's that must have done yeah that relationship is like one of the first important depictions of like love and young love that I saw or that I was Mm. engaging with. And yeah, so, and Edward Cullen would have been like one of the first partners and romantic, um, you know, I can't, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like would have been one of the first like boyfriends. Funny, I would have, I would have seen really like in a, in a deeper way that I like was attached to. But thinking about that as well is like so many of the classic teen movies, Mean Girls or or whatever you want to choose, American Pie, Clueless, Ten Things About You, whatever. There's um a lot of discussion about like the getting of boyfriends or the getting of girlfriends or or having sex or whatever. But there's actually very little time in those movies that is spent on what the relationship looks like together. Like you see people going mm. around holding hands and people in the car together and going to prom and and five seconds of a date where something funny happens but the amount of like stretched out time that you get of just these two teenagers who are in a relationship just kind of mooching around chatting and having arguments like you kind of don't like and it's because you have these two awkward people who are bad communicators and it's like when 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 Gavin was watching it with me, he was like, "I have never seen so many much of faces in any film ever." It was like That's so correct. It's like they just the camera spends so long just on their faces, them not really saying a lot, but sort of communicating. You know, they're bad communicators because they're a vampire and a human being, but also yeah. arguably they're bad communicators because they're just two teenage kids. Yeah, and like, exactly. They, they just like can't talk to each other, and they're just like. Yeah, you're so real. Also, I, you made me think about, you see, like, their first date and you see, like, Bella meeting his parents. Yeah. Um, And you see them, like, going to play, a, like, a, a baseball game with his family. <laughs> baseball and, like, game Edward... is so nuts. <laughs> and then the, the baseball game is actually fucking crazy. I can't believe it was real. I can't believe we all allowed that, but that's a whole different thing. And, like, Edward going to meet Bella's dad and, like, how Bell, how Bella's dad didn't really, like all these things. Yeah, they, they hit, they hit a, all the beats that regular the team relationships do. You know, they hit all those markers. 
Um, I mean, because you're a musician, we have to talk about the soundtracks because they were absolutely iconic. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, is Christina Perry a thousand years part of that soundtrack? It is. Also, the um, the waltz, the the like piano. I don't even know what it's called, but it's like just an instrumental. It's not even got lyrics to it. And we yeah. were obsessed. Yes, yes. And Paramore? Uh, Paramore, exactly. There's like the first time I heard Iron and Wine was on a Twilight soundtrack, you know? Like it's they're they're really eclectic. They're really interesting and, and I love them. But I I'm I mean, obviously your love of like sort of supernatural and the paranormal has kind of maintained throughout your career and your new album is pretty like witch themed, right? True. Very true, yeah. So has that how has Twilight bled into that? That's such a yeah, I know it's funny. It's like such an obvious link. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, I think that like I wouldn't necessarily. People ask me a lot in recent times with the album coming out. You know, if I'm like a spiritual person or if I'm into star signs or all those things, and I'm always sort of saying like it's funny. Sort of no. Like I'm sort of the most cynical person ever, and like mm-hmm. I've never been one for star signs depicting my future or, um, you know, believing deeply in a spiritual force it's sort of I've always been pretty much a realist but then I do think I have this like really like sort of um like a part of myself that's very much sort of this like romanticized version of a of a world in a universe where there's like magic and there's just genuine like I said to somebody the other day I was like oh no like I definitely believe in I was like I definitely believe in fate and they were like what you believe in fate like they were so surprised I was like yeah I really believe in fate and I really believe in things happening for reasons and I believe in like magic and I think like love is like kind of magic and I think music is kind of magic and like really important pieces of art to me are like magic like there's just no there's no logic to it it's like you could you could sit down uh, I'm trying to think of a good example here like it's kind of the. Have you watched the um the Beatles documentary, the really long one on Disney Plus? Get back. Yeah, I've seen bits of it. Yeah, yeah, I've also seen bits of it. But like, there's a scene where Paul McCartney's writing "Let It Be," basically, basically sort of writing it in the room, mm. and it's like he could have just sat there and not written "Let It Be," and there's no reason as to why he did. It's just like all these little tiny like everything about that moment like the atoms in the air and like what everything he's lived in his entire life leads up to this like one split second moment where you happen to sing the chorus of let it be and like that to me is magic like I don't really know what else that is I I'm so with you I've never heard like it's so funny because again because of me writing supernatural fiction people always ask the same thing of me and I have the same answer for them which is that like no like I, I don't really care about star signs I enjoy tarot from like a storytelling and mental health point of view but I don't truly believe that there is like yeah, yeah. something happening and like I'm, I'm and I'm fascinated from things from a folklore point of view but like I'm a very cynical myself like if like yeah, I have so many friends who are like, oh, that's so Taurus. And I'm just like, I don't, shut up. That's true to me. I have like, no, I'm not yeah. that amused by it. I'm just like, oh, I don't care. Um, and, uh, but you're so right. The kind of, I am in love, I am sort of so invested in that magic of storytelling and that magic of art. And that. And you're so right of that, like, all of these beautiful gems that we have in the world that are just like, they could e- very easily not th- be not there. And they're full of the ingredients of both personal experience and things in the atmosphere and just charges in the air. And then that all comes together and glues together and makes like a song or a movie or whatever. And then it exists forever and it changes people and the world in ways we can never understand. And how is that not magic? <laughs> it's so crazy to me. I always say, I'm like, like, so like one of my favorite songs in the world is so funny. It's, um, it's a Billy Joel song called "She's Always a Woman." Um, I love and, that song. <laughs> oh, I love that song. And also, we should talk about this. And also, we could talk about so many things, Caroline. But yeah. like, I think that song is like one of the greatest, if not to me personally, mm-hmm. like the greatest love song in the world, because the way that he describes her throughout that song, it's like I I can't think of a song where it appears like the writer knows the per the muse better. It mm-hmm. feels like he knows her so well and when he describes her I'm like I don't know anybody like this which is crazy because most music you listen to and you're like I I know this person I'm like I could be this person I feel like this person and 
maybe that's also maybe there's two different versions maybe that's a testament to good music but i also think testament to good music is when it's like or any or a good any good piece of art that does you know just describe so like a book or whatever it is it's like when something is described so so like so incredibly vividly and concisely that you're like I couldn't, I don't know that. I don't know, I can, I, that person is no one I know because it's too specific. It's too much of a human. It's too much of a human. And I, and I just think that song is like perfect because it's neither like, it's not this like glowing review, but nor is it this like sort of vague damnation. It's just like, he spends the whole song so it's just totally irrelevant to Twilight, but it'll come. No, out I love the just, song and I love Billy Joel, so I'm really happy for you to continue. <laughs> I'm just gonna continue. He just spends the whole song, sort of like talking about her, and the, and in this way, which is just he just knows her so incredibly well, and I think it's so romantic to be known so well and to have somebody know you that well, and and then want to and then share it so vividly, and like I just think that's like the closest. The magic in the world but Billy Joel could have just sat there and not written that song and then <laughs> one one day it didn't exist and then like an hour later it did exist and that's how I feel yeah and like 35 years later things. you're listening to it and like being absolutely transfixed and probably walking down the street crying to it you know yeah and and now I'm here like giving a, a small speech on <laughs> this song and it's like we could that's just sort of it's everywhere it's all to me like that's what art is and that's what music is and that's what that's what I love about it so much so I guess and Twilight to me it's all sort of it's funny it's like all the things I just talked about are all sort of wrapped up in Twilight that's mm-hmm. sort of like that the the romanticism of of love and of of life and of art I feel like that's kind of the point well that's what I'm trying to do all the time like mm-hmm. I, when I write music I'm sort of romanticizing everything around me and I want to do that because that's like wonderful it's like wonderful to live life yeah and be able to like romanticize it all and and I like live my life and then I write all this music about it and my album that's coming out is sort of it's very much like my life last year and it's a it's sort of a breakup album and it's it like really to me it's like a snapshot of, of of who I was last year and what I was going through but it's like through this lens of like unbelievable like even like romantic it's like you know it's romanticized sadness and it's romanticized joy and it's like this depiction now of my life and life is, can be sort of boring and and dull and ugly and and dark and like I get to have this album and, and sing this album where it's like full of life and color and and like it's it's euphoric and it's and it's heartbreaking but at least I get to like I, I get to now live it through that world yeah yeah and I remember um I mean, as a testament to your sort of abilities here, like I remember there's a moment about a year ago, I think this must have been your last record, where you were kind of giddy, <laughs> clearly like locked in a room by yourself, was probably still locked down. And you were like, I've written a song about my friend's brother who I met once <laughs> and I did not have a relationship with, but now I've pretended as if I have and I've released it as a single. <laughs> And that was so a moment of like the just insane mad scientist alchemical witchcraft of music. Can, so you, tell us, can you tell me more about that actually? Because I think that's so insane and lovely. Yeah, I literally was talking about it last night. I I had a joke with my friend that I loved her, that like I loved her brother, and we'd never met. And then I just wrote this song about it because again, and I think I, it's this all sort of a testament to the same thing. It's like I love, I love imagination, and and I love what could be and what might be and I and I will be happily spend all day in that world so I wrote this song kind of as a joke about pretending to be with my friend's brother and then it actually was kind of great and I was like well there's no re- I see no reason for the truth to get in the way of a good song quite frankly um so I just led a whole sort of uh, campaign of of being a gaslighter where I told everyone that we were together and we just won um, <laughs> and we were never together and that's okay and the song came out and now I sing it every night and like it, again it's it's like that's so fun it's so fun to just like take your life and 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 make it bigger than it is yeah and 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 you could say that is what Twilight does 
There it, you go. It does. It takes the sort of the ordinary boringness of just like, be, there's nothing more boring in the world than being a teenage girl. It's so fucking so dumb. You can't do anything and you've got no money. You can't drive. It sucks. Mm. And you just and nothing happens ever. Everyone you know is someone you've done forever. And so like, I just think that like, I don't know, when pe- when people talk, when, when these books came along, it was like, it, just like a, a bomb exploding in the hearts of young women. Like, what if you could be a normal, typical, clumsy, awkward girl, but there was something innate within you that could charm both the world's most gorgeous, oldest, richest vampire and also the world's most gorgeous, sexiest, like, werewolf boy and they would fight over you to the death. It's so, it's such beautiful wish fulfillment. It's a brilliant thing to give to girls. And she didn't even have to go anywhere. She just was at school. That's it. No quests. You're just special. Yes. No quest. You're just special. It's yeah. my new everything I want in life. <laughs> um, Maisie, this has been so fun. Uh, remind us what your album is called and when it comes out. My album is called The Good Witch. It comes out on the 23rd of June. Um, and I hope everybody listens to it and thinks it's the best thing ever. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh my God. Thank you. I had the best time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.